Okay, if you would, if you have a Bible, please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. I'll be reading Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. When one of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you guys, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Blessed is the reading of God's holy word. And Father, I ask that you now help me by your spirit with the gift of teaching. To teach what is here on the page. To teach it in the power of your spirit and that you would by your spirit not only cause our minds to be alive and active, but our hearts to have hands that reach up and receive the truth of your holy word. Amen. This passage this morning is about how anybody, no matter who they are, where they come from, what they have done, how anybody can sit at the eternal table of salvation with Jesus. Jesus teaches how we can make sure that we're one of them, that we will be there at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The unstated question in this text is what sort of person will be in the kingdom of God. Now, the Jewish leaders who were at the table with Jesus and whom He's talking to in this context, they had their answer. They knew of people like us. People who are Jews, and not only Jews, but are sticklers for the Jewish traditions. We keep ourselves ceremonially pure and not defiled. That's who will be there. And if you would have asked these guys around the table, well, who's going to be excluded from the kingdom in that table? Gentile dogs, of course. All the non-Jews. And, and, and among some of Israel, those who don't keep Sabbath, don't wash ceremonially their hands and their dishes in the right way, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, they, they won't be there. And then Jesus totally overturns their religious, self-righteous assumptions by the parable He gives. By this story He tells. So, to, to really get at the feel of what's going on in this parable, got to flash back to last week because we're in the middle of this dinner party. You know, Jesus had been invited on the Sabbath to the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. It's a Saturday afternoon dinner party. 
Right now, at this point where we pick up this morning, you could cut the tension in the air with a knife. Jesus caused it. They tried to set him up with the man with dropsy. Jesus asked him a question, and of course, their lips were sealed. They couldn't speak. He healed him. He asked him another question. They couldn't speak. Inside, they're probably fuming. Then, Jesus goes on to address all of these other guests. And He addressed their arrogant pride in seeking the places of honor and let them know this will keep you from eternal salvation. You will be humbled unless something changes. And then He turns to His host who invited Him. And He says, you blew it. You invited all the wrong people. And for the wrong reasons. This must change if you're ever to have an inheritance at the resurrection of the just. Everyone in the room at this point has been deliberately insulted by Jesus. They were mortified. And so now at that point then, we come to our text. One of them speaks up. You see that in verse 15? I think he's probably trying to save the day or so. Because Jesus just mentioned the resurrection. And yeah, that's going to be great for everyone who's eating bread at the table. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, Jesus. I mean, he's really saying, Blessed are people like us, law of Moses abiding Jews. And so Jesus, once again, is not going to lose the opportunity to shatter their self-righteous, religious, fundamentalist, deceived understanding about God's salvation. Something about Jesus, isn't it? Just as you've been, if you've been here for a while, or as we've been working through Luke, you see if this isn't true. Jesus seems to always be out of sync with the world. And that's why He is so offensive to so many of His hearers back then and today. And one of the things that makes Jesus so just off-putting to many people today, He's just tough. He's blunt. He's crystal clear about the saving love of God. And that's why so many of us, even in today's world, attempt to kind of twist the picture from the Bible that we get of Jesus so it doesn't seem so harsh when we run across those texts. Because people with thin skin will often feel hurt by Jesus' piercing words. People who, in other words, identify love as being synonymous only with soft, tender words of encouragement. Those kinds of people would have been outraged to sit at dinner parties with the historical Jesus. What we run into time and again with Jesus is a form of love that is radically in tune with the world of sin and with the dullness of our human hearts in the context of huge stakes that have to do with choices we make. That's what makes Jesus' words, the words He speaks in differing context, like here before the religious, self-righteous fundamentalist. It is ultimately the love of God reaching to turn people's hearts to God through Christ in order to be saved. And so remember... We're picking up in verse 15, but right before that, Jesus, just His last words were about the future resurrection of the just. 
And then this guy says, yeah, won't it be great to be sitting there at the banquet table? And so again, Jesus never passes up an opportunity when people speak to correct their wrong thinking. And so he tells the parable we're going to look at about the great banquet in order to correct their theology. These guys think they have a seat. And Jesus is going to shockingly say, you don't. Not where you sit right now. You don't. Jesus' illustration is saying that most of you, my fellow fundamentalist, pharisaical Jew, well, we use that word that way. They didn't think of it as a negative term. It was just that they were the fundamentalist of Judaism, very conservative and self-righteous in the leaders. He is saying through the parable that many of you will not be in the kingdom. And not only that, in the parable, he goes on to let them know, to their shock, many of those people who you just assume would never get close to the kingdom will in fact be sitting at the table with me in the future kingdom. The answer to the question, who will be at the banquet table? The better way to say it is this. The answer to the question, who will be eternally saved from their sin to enjoy God forever in the resurrection? The answer is, those who respond personally to the invitation. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at this parable. I want to look first at the invitation. What is it? And then secondly, we'll look at the responses we sinful human beings make to that great invitation. So first, the nature of the invitation. It is broad. Pick up verse 16. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. It's broad. Many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Now, in the context of Jesus giving this parable, the many refer to the first century Jewish leadership and fundamentalist Pharisees. Those are the many. You've been invited. They had the privilege of reading and studying God's only written word, the Hebrew Scriptures. As Apostle Paul put it, the Jews had the privilege of being entrusted with the oracles of God. And so, here's the parable. When the dinner's ready, the meal has come, God senses, sent His servant, John the Baptist, to say, Come, prepare. It's ready. But the Jewish leaders as a whole, according to this parable, made dumb excuses for why they can't come. And so the Lord, in the parable now, expands the invitation outwardly. Look at verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Jesus chose his words very carefully. Jesus knows these are the kinds of people that the Pharisees considered to be born in utter sinfulness, very much unlike themselves. That's why they're poor and lame and blind. That's what they're thinking. But the fact is, 
in the parable, which reflects real life, what's happened in Jesus' ministry, the poor, lame, blind, tax collectors and prostitutes, and blue-collar fishermen from Galilee are responding to the invitation. And they're following Jesus. Jesus says to these guys, very much unlike what they expected, the invitation is really broad and wide. But there's still more room. So far, this is only within Israel. Listen to what he says here in verses 22 to 23. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Okay. If you haven't been following along the last few weeks, what Jesus clearly means by the highways and hedges is go to the non-Jews. Go to the Gentiles. This salvation message is really broad. And it angered and it stunned the unregenerated religious fundamentalist of first century Judaism. It is so broad. I just want to flash forward to the reality. Jesus is talking about a story here to picture this reality. If you, if you turn to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, in chapter 7, we get a picture of something about what Jesus is referring to. I'll start with chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation not just Jews, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what's going to happen. Jesus tells a story to picture it. And the point is this. The invitation, come, freely and eat, is really broad to every person it is to go. It is to go to the Jews, and it's to go to the Gentiles. It's to go to the pagans. It is to go to Hindu people, to Muslim people, to New Age people. It is to go to mushroom-eating American native people. That's yeah, a little religion, you know that? Okay. It, it's to go broadly out to all who will hear. If you find them under a bush, tell them they're invited to the banquet table of eternal salvation. As the text says, come, everything is now ready. The invitation is broad. Secondly, the invitation is free. Absolutely free. It is a gift. It is not a paycheck. The servant that was sent out here in the parable did not go out selling tickets to the banquet. It is not a non-profit fundraiser where people would come and eat and then they would kick in whatever they can afford at the end of the meal to raise money. It is free. It is the master of the house, his good pleasure to invite them to dine and to eat abundantly their table. The attempt to pay is a way of saying, excuse me from the banquet. 
the attempt to reimburse or to reciprocate. What a great meal. Let me reciprocate to you with some favor I could do for you, O host, is an offensive, arrogant rejection of Jesus' free invitation. The Master says, come, because everything is now ready. It means one thing. It means come. Bring yourself with nothing in your hands except a, a hungry belly. Come. See, heaven, being eternally saved from the penalty of your sin, Being saved to the unending enjoyment of God Himself is totally of His mercy. It is totally at His expense. He picks up the entire tab as God's eternal Son. Without beginning, who himself is God, he became a human being in order to live as a human being in perfect obedience to God's law, in perfect human righteousness, sinlessly, on behalf of, for the sake of giving his life lived to all the people at the banquet. And then Jesus, in His humanity, went to be slaughtered as a substitutionary sacrifice, receiving the penalty of the sin of everybody who will be seated at the banquet table. It is really expensive, but it's totally paid by the host. The guest pay nothing. And this is what is so offensive to our sin natures. It's also what is so beautiful to all whom God is causing to be born again so that they could see it and say, yes, I'll come. And when the servant says, come, they come. It's beautiful, but it is also the most difficult reality of the invitation that causes so many to not accept it, because it means that they cannot take any credit for themselves. See, if they could offer something in exchange for the meal, they would feel so much better about it. Because to come freely and to eat, and we all got par parables in our own life, don't we? I'm going to give you some. And not if they invited you. To come freely and to eat for eternity is an affront to sinful pride. But there is only one way that God offers to sit at the eternal banquet table of salvation. Remember Jesus said this in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way. And now the invitation goes out. Christ, His work on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, the gospel, and then the invitation, which says, you're invited, come. That invitation is responded to only one way. Freely. You can only do one thing. Say no, or say yes. But don't pull out a tip from your pocket and put it on the table for God. 
He doesn't need you to help him pay for the banquet. No matter what depths of grievous sin he's saving you from. He provides the banquet himself. Totally. Absolutely. That's how Paul said it in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up to death for us all, how shall he not freely give to us all things? It's absolutely free. This invitation is not only broad, not only free, but it is the greatest possible invitation imaginable. It's right there. You might not see it, but if you understood the man who spoke the parable and what it referred to, he says the servant went and said, Come, everything is ready. What a banquet. It's all you can eat. You'll never hunger or thirst again. The eternal salad bar of pleasures forevermore. See, the feast is used in the Scripture as a symbol for heaven because the feast pictures eternal satisfaction. And we get, even down here before the resurrection and before the future feast, we get fellowship with the Father by the Holy Spirit with pain and when suffering. Oh, but then in the resurrection, when Jesus comes back and there's the marriage supper of the Lamb, we get to feast with sin being wiped out and suffering and pain and enjoy the table of God forever. I want to flash forward in the Scripture to one more text in the book of Revelation in chapter 19. This is what Jesus is alluding to in the parable. Chapter 19, starting with verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. That sound was crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her, that's the church, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Or in our parable, Jesus put it this way, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, because everything is now ready. Now, with an offer like that, who could ever refuse it? But that is precisely what happens in the parable. 
Each one of those who were first on the invitation list that Jesus gives here, representing the Jewish leadership, each one of them gave lame excuses for why they could not come. Start with verse 18. There's the invitation. Come! It's ready! But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. What in the world? Why does he have to go look at his field now? It's, I think it would be there tomorrow. Obviously, he didn't want to go to the banquet. He could have easily done both. This is why it's so absurd, and Jesus makes it absurd. It is a flimsy excuse. The point is, he didn't want to go to the banquet. And he represents millions of us who are tied to our possessions and our investments in this world so tightly that I don't have time for a banquet. I don't have time to accept the invitation of the salvation of my soul. We already seen Jesus earlier in the Gospel of Luke. Remember how He put it with that other picture of the farmer and built bigger barns and He said, Fool! You spent all your time laying up more stuff? This night you're dead and you will give an account to God. Then who will have your junk Verse 19, you see the second man. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I can, and I am going right now to examine them. So please let me be excused. Again. <laughs> it's just an unreal excuse. If he wanted to be at the banquet, you know what? The oxen will be there tomorrow. They check them out. It's an excuse that gets to the core. I don't want to eat your food freely. He's living for the things of the world. I've just purchased five tractors. Well, that's what oxen were to them. And the third guy, verse 20, another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Jesus, in one hand, a wife in the other. Who do I worship? That's the question. That's the point. He was pursuing his wife more than God. That, that's why Jesus, if you just look down, we'll see it next week, why Jesus, He goes on to say in verse 26, if anyone comes to Me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, he cannot be My disciple. But we'll get to those things next week. See, when you think about it, you'll notice about these excuses that none of them are sinful in and of themselves. There's nothing in and of itself wrong with buying property or buying animals to work the land or getting married and loving your wife or your children. We're commanded, husbands, love your wives. The point is that many good, legitimate things in this life get in the way and they become the excuse to hinder people from coming to Christ, to the real Jesus. Think of all the people over here, Manhattan Beach, 
sitting on two million plus pieces of property with two and a half kids, boat, lots of recreation, work hard, participate in 103 different children's activities. Their life's invested there in their education and sports. It's good stuff. All that is their excuse why they have no time to accept the invitation to get saved. To hear the invite of the Gospel of Jesus for you, a dying sinner who will meet God one day. You see, it's, it's not just the, the gross and flagrant sinful lifestyles that keep people away from Christ. It's often the good things wrongly emphasized that can be so deceptive. Jesus is at the dinner party. All these men around Him are churchgoers, synagogue attenders. They are obsessed with religion. And it shows that unbiblical, legalistic traditions can cause people to make excuses why they will not take charity, even from God. There are people so caught up in careers, husbands, wives, education, children, that they neglect their soul. To allow anything. Jesus is going to get there next week. It's why He speaks in such hyperbole. If you don't hate these wonderful gifts in comparison to me, you don't get it. To allow anything to cause you to refuse or to put off accepting God's offer of salvation is a foolish decision. Jesus says in verse 21, look at it, the host, what? He hears these excuses. The host became angry at these persons for refusing such a merciful and free and glorious invitation. Why? Because it is the ultimate sin. It is sin against God's all-sufficient glory. He is the object of true and everlasting happiness, joy, fulfillment for every human being. And they say, sorry, I'm busy. The host becomes angry at that cosmic sin against the uncreated creator and sustainer of all things. God offered His own eternal Son to become a human being and to sacrifice Him, and to pour out His anger and wrath against Him in order to reconcile sinners to Himself. That's why the author of the book of Hebrews just concisely says it this way, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Or make up an excuse. Sorry, I got I married a wife and kind of busy. And that's why Jesus ends this parable with the frightening words of verse 24. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. See, now the striking thing is that all the other people who went to the banquet when they 
got the invitation after them, the blind and lame, that they all could have so easily made those kinds of excuses. I'm poor. I can't afford any nice clothing. So I'm not going to go to the banquet and be embarrassed. I'm blind. I can't find my way. I'm crippled. I don't have anybody to carry me, so please have me excused. I'm lame. It hurts too much to walk. But in the parable, it's implied clearly that they all accepted the offer. They didn't make excuses like that because they were convinced that they were really, genuinely welcome to the banquet. And so they came. They took God's absolute charity, mercy, that they knew they could never pay back. The invitation was not based upon anything in the poor guy, in the blind guy, in the lame guy, or the rich guy. The invitation is not based upon anything that we have or are. It is totally based on the goodness and sufficiency of God. All that these people, and it's true in the parable, it's true this morning, it's true as the gospel goes out today. All a wretched sinner like me has to do is say yes to the free invitation and come. Paul put it concisely this way in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin. Just stop for a minute. Yes, it's true. There is stuff that every one of us deserves. You know, when you work for somebody, you deserve a paycheck. You get offended if they say, hey, at the end of the week, I'm going to give you a gift. It's no gift. I worked hard for that. You owe me. Okay, we, we all do have a paycheck coming. Paul says it this way, for the wages, the paycheck of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, one of the main hindrances that keeps people from coming to Jesus is that they're so full of their own goodness. Even Christian church-going people. They're so full of their own goodness. Look what I've attained. That they just won't acknowledge their need for the absolutely free eternal banquet. Their pride will make them say, I'll come. And they come. And they become members of churches. I'm going to come. Just let me bring a salad with me. Let me bring the drinks. Let me bring the dessert. And I'll I'll come. But I can't come empty-handed. Then you're not really coming at all. They come to religion. Let me illustrate for a moment. I'm going to lift. I'm going to read extensively from this illustration from Leadership Magazine that gets to the core and the heart. And I don't care how long you have been a Christian. Wake up every day. We're desperate to wake up in life's pains to the Gospel. At Christmas one year, a pastor hoped to illustrate God's free salvation. He pointed to a beautiful Christmas poinsettia sitting on the platform wrapped in red cellophane with a ribbon. And he said, whoever wants this gorgeous flower may have it. All you have to do is take it. He waited, but no one came forward to get it. 
Finally, a mother timidly raised her hand and said, I'll take it. Great, it's yours, said the pastor. But then the woman nudged her son and said, Go get it for me. And the pastor said, No, whoever wants this plant must come and get it personally. You can't send a substitute. The woman shook her head, unwilling to risk embarrassment. She wouldn't go get it for herself. The pastor waited, pointed to this beautiful plant that would make a fine decoration in any home. It was free for the taking, but no one was coming up to get it. Someone snickered, what's the catch? No catch, said the pastor. It's totally free. A college student asked, is it glued to the platform? Everyone laughed. No, the pastor said, it's not glued to the platform. It's just sitting there, free for the taking. A teenage girl asked, can I take it after the service? The pastor was tempted to give in, but he thought of the verse. Today is the day of salvation. And he shook his head. You must come and get it now. He was just beginning to wish that he had never started the whole thing when a woman whom he had never seen before stood up in the back. Quickly, as if she were afraid that she would change her mind, she strode to the front and picked up the plant. I'll take it, she said. After she had gone back to her seat, the pastor launched into his message on Romans 6.23 that the free gift of God is eternal life. Free to all who will receive it. After the service, when most of the people had gone home, the woman who had claimed the poinsettia came up to the platform where the pastor was picking up his Bible to leave. Here, she held out her hand. This flower is too pretty to just take home for free. I couldn't do that with a clear conscience. The pastor looked down at the crumpled paper the woman had stuffed into his hand. It was a $10 bill. The invitation of the gospel says, don't be like that. Come saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. The gospel sounds too good. To be true. I am still, when I lay alone in my bed sometimes, just really stunned. It's just hard to get my mind around what Christ purchased and what is promised. It just seems too good to be true. But it is that good and it is true. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that, broad, remember broad, whoever will believe in Him will not perish in their sin, but will have eternal life. What a God. What a Savior. Jesus is saying to all of us, no matter how long it is that we've come to the Lord, or you sit here not knowing if you've ever come to the Lord. No matter how great your sin, come. Because I, Christ, have prepared everything for you to be saved from God's judgment into dying with me for all eternity in heaven. You know, as the musicians come, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote from Jesus 
within 24 hours of his brutal torture and substitutionary death for all the people who will sit at the banquet table. This is what he said. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And Jesus took a cup. And when He had given thanks, He said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And He took bread and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them saying, This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. That's the price. And that's what we're going to be doing as we close. Celebrating in remembrance the price paid for the banquet. If you've never come to Christ, He's here. He's everywhere. Come. Now, if you are a believer and you have been baptized since having become a believer, as we pass out the bread and the cup, feel free to take. You can hold them. We will pray and partake over the remembrance of this glorious price that is purchased on eternity of feasting on the goodness of God.